Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for being here this morning. Happy birthday to Dylan Smith. Uh, He would want you to know that it's his birthday. He actually came to church just to get extra praise and birthday love, maybe a present or two. So thanks for gracing us with your presence this morning, Dylan. Um, We are fresh off of Easter, and man, wasn't it great? Easter was so awesome. Can we just take a minute and celebrate what God did on Easter Sunday? Just for a minute, we like to memorialize around here so that we don't demoralize. 407 people. We don't know how many decisions. I couldn't count the hands, but I do know that we printed 50 decision cards and there's 31 left. So that means 19, give or take, that many people raised their hand and that many people accepted Christ. So that's awesome. That is so amazing. That's what it's all about is just to see that life change that we just sang about. Uh, But what about the weather? We had crazy rainy weather on Saturday and then it returned on Monday. Like there was just this beautiful window of sunshine on Sunday. Unreal, right? God did that. He created that for us. He made that moment, which was awesome. And then I don't know how many of you know about the power situation, but we lost power 17 minutes before the service was supposed to start completely. Outlets burned up, breakers tripped every, the whole nine yards. Fortunately, Brandon's got out. He just runs around with outlets in his, in his work van. So he replaced one. We flipped the breaker literally a couple of minutes before we were supposed to start. So we asked God for the, um, I don't know if this was a mistake or not, y'all decide, but we asked God for that intangible supernatural thing. We asked God to show up in the details and we got what we prayed for. Uh, Maybe it didn't look like what we thought it would, but we're so grateful that God always comes through. He makes a way. He is, he's just a waymaker. That's who he is. So we're celebrating that record attendance, record responses. And let's not forget that it was the first service on the new land, first of many. So I can't wait to do that again and plan that again. But thank you to everybody who invited, who is busy working and volunteering. I mean, we had people out there all week long preparing and getting ready for that service. So thank you for what you put into it. Thank you that the, thank God that the eternal reward is, the payoff is, we, we'll never know it. Uh, so thank you for all your work. If you're joining us for the first time, we're glad you did so. If there's one thing we want you to know about Decided Church is that we serve a wonder-working God, and we still expect him to show up. We still expect him to show out the Sunday after Easter because he's still not in the grave. He's risen just as much today as he was last Sunday. So let's take a minute, give God five seconds of the praise he deserves. He's not in the grave, he is risen, hallelujah, just like we sang about. When you think about the greatest hits of all time, you probably, some some artists come to mind, maybe like Bob Dylan, Elvis, Michael Jackson, 
Marvin Gaye, the Rolling Stones, the Beach Boys, the Beatles, Stevie Wonder, Queen. Am I leaving anybody out? Prince, Aretha Franklin, Adele. Who do you want? Elton John, Morgan Wallen. I don't know. He's on my list. I don't know about you, but he's, he's probably on my greatest hits. But Jesus probably doesn't come to mind, does he? His purpose in coming to earth wasn't necessarily producing greatest hits, but he did share something just as transformative. He shared and he created in his 33 years of ministry some of the greatest artistic genius. And it wasn't Kanye, it wasn't Justin Bieber, but it was the most innovative, the most cutting edge way of communication. The way that Jesus shared his message, the way that Jesus communicated truth to the masses of people was revolutionary. It was, it was gripping. Jesus was a preacher, not a recording artist, not a producer, but he was a preacher. And his sermons in his day in those Jewish communities were like, they were like the blockbuster of billboard hits. Everybody was talking about them. Everybody was trying to dissect them. The Romans, the Jews, the Pharisees, the sinners, everybody was trying to hear Jesus speak and then trying to decipher what exactly he meant. Everybody talked about him. Everybody wanted to know the meanings. Everybody wanted to solve the mystery. See, Jesus was a storyteller. And his main method of communication was parables. Parables were illustrations. Parables were stories that Jesus used to communicate truth to his closest followers while leaving others puzzled. He often left them unexplained so that his followers could think on them for a while. It was almost like speaking in a coded language. They were like allegories or riddles. They were earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Some he did choose to explain and some he, he left uncovered. So why teach him parables? And Jesus used these stories with hidden meanings to separate those who were genuine followers from the spectators, from the crowd. Whether they were cynical spectators or whether they were just carnal spectators, 2,000 years later, that same purpose stands. We're still talking about those parables. To us, his followers, who have the spirit to illuminate, these parables make sense. We can study them. We can discern them. We can draw out the meaning. But to those on the outside of the kingdom, to those who are, who are lost, maybe you're just a, a fan of Jesus, a spectator of Jesus, well, it's still a good story, like the Good Samaritan. They understand the basics, but they miss out on the deeper level, almost like a 3D aspect to what Jesus is saying. In Mark chapter 4, this verse is going to be crucial to us understanding these parables. Jesus goes ahead and he, he tells us why he preaches in parables. He tells us why he packages his sermon in a story. And it says this in Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. His disciples got him away from the crowd. And 
It's going to be up here in just a second. In Mark chapter 4, 10 through 12, it says, As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the what? About the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand otherwise they might return and be forgiven. So Jesus is talking to his, to his disciples and his close followers, and he basically tells them two things, that the purpose of parables is to reveal truth about God's kingdom. The purpose of parables is always, no matter which one it is, there's, there's, a, there's a truth that he wants to reveal about his kingdom in that story. And then number two, he says that the mystery of the kingdom can be understood by us while it's kept secret from others. The mystery's been given to us who are believers this morning, who are his followers. But then to those who are outside, who don't have that discernment, who haven't been given the Holy Spirit, it's, it's a puzzle, it's a riddle, it's still a mystery. And by mystery, it doesn't mean that it's unknowable, but it's impossible to comprehend without divine revelation. The kingdom of God is a mystery. In other words, it's veiled. It's hard to understand. And while the church, this is a, a common misconception that I want to clear up, while the church is also referred to as a mystery in the New Testament, it's just a small part of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is the entire span of time where his will is accomplished in our hearts through his rule and reign. That's the kingdom of God. It's so much bigger, it's so much more expansive than just the church age that we live in. This, this tiny blip on the radar of, of the time of eternity. The whole thing is his kingdom. When his will is executed on earth, this little part of it that we play called the church age is part of that mystery of the greater kingdom of God. So what is the mystery of God's kingdom that's been given to his followers both then and now? What is the key that unlocks the hidden truths in these parables? And this is what I believe Jesus is talking about himself. He's saying, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. I have given you the mystery to unlock these parables and these puzzles and these riddles and these stories. It's me. I'm standing in front of you. And unless you understand the truth about why I came, then you're going to miss out on the meaning of these sermons that I'm giving. Unless you understand that, no, I haven't come to rule and reign. I haven't come to overthrow the Roman Empire this time. Unless you can understand that I first must save the world before I rule the world, you're going to misunderstand these parables. Jesus was saying, I'm the mystery of the kingdom. I'm the gift that's been given to you to understand these stories. So here's your takeaway when reading the parables. Jesus' greatest hits, also known as a sermon inside of a story. The purpose of any parable is to reveal a truth about God's kingdom. And what is God's kingdom? It's his rule and reign on earth. Both now, both in the past, and both futuristically. And secondly, the key to understanding the mystery is Jesus himself. 
And we have him in the form of the Holy Spirit. We have him in the written word of God that illuminates these stories for us. And so that's where this new series comes in, Jesus's greatest hits. We're going to be talking, not all of them, we don't have time for that, but we're going to be talking about the greatest hits, the ones that we, that we all think of when parable comes to mind. We think of the Good Samaritan, right? We think of the prodigal son. We think about the, the sower and the different types of soil. We're going to be covering those major parables of Jesus as if they were his greatest hits. And so today, I want to start it off with a short one, since we had a lot of foundation and groundwork to cover. But this one is kind of encapsulating, it kind of leads up to the parable that's well known as the prodigal son. But this one is called leaving the 99 for one. Do you know it? The one about the sheep being lost. Let's read about it in Luke chapter 15. You can stand if you would like. Luke chapter 15 verses 1 through 7 this short parable that Jesus gives in a series of three is about something that was lost and is now found. He says this in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And you can imagine verse two, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're standing off to the side, grumbling and complaining, saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. Can you believe it? So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to bask in your love this morning. We want to understand so deeply how undeserving we are that you would come to this earth, that you would chase us down, that you would overwhelm us with your love, that you would find us, that you would rejoice with us, that you would rescue us. We're so undeserving of that grace and that mercy. Help us to understand more deeply what your word has to say this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So leaving the 99 for one, the parable of the lost sheep. It really points out three things, this parable of the lost sheep. It points out three things that I want you to understand. I want you to write down and know about this parable. And the first one, as we read this text, is that we're not all God's children. We're not all God's children. Although we were intended to be, although we were created to be, we're not. We're lost. That's what sheep do. They just get lost. If you've ever read Isaiah 53, it, it talks about all of us being sheep that have lost our way. So we're the sheep in the story. This little sermon in a story, or yeah, sermon in a story that Jesus gives, we are that lost sheep, and that's what sin does. Say amen if you know that sin gets you off track, it gets you wayward, it gets you lost, it blinds you, all the things that this sheep would have endured that got separated from the 99. 
we're not all God's children. We have to be careful about theology. We have to be careful about wording that presents us all. Well, we're all God's family. Well, no, we're not. We're lost. We're intended to be. He created us to be part of his family, but sin separates. Sin always separates. Sin blinds, and it gets us off track, and it gets us all cut up. It gets us in the thorns. It gets us away from the shepherd. So not everyone is in God's kingdom. That's the, that's the truth about the kingdom that's being revealed in this parable. Not everyone's in the kingdom. Yes, the shepherd has 99, but he quickly realizes that there's one missing, which reminds me of that beautiful passage in John chapter 10 that the sheep know his voice. God knows who are his. God knows who are his. Take a minute and think about that this morning. Think about your salvation story. Think about your testimony, where God found you, when he found you, the events surrounding your life's story. When he saved you, he knew that you were his. God knows his sheep. And so very quickly, as a if you can imagine a shepherd herding 99 sheep, just imagine the vastness of 99 stinky, nasty sheep. And for that shepherd to know there's one missing right now. I, can, I know it. I know which one it is. The fact that God knows who are his. We're not all God's children. Not everybody is part of the kingdom. They're invited to be. They're created to be. He wants them. He's calling them to himself. But we're lost in our sin. The second thing I want you to understand about this parable is so beautiful and it's so special. And that is this. The one is just as important as the many. We talk about it a lot at Decided Church. We use it in our prayer. We talk about the one. We create church around this concept of the one that comes in late, sits in the back, doesn't want to be seen, maybe leaves early, doesn't want any, any interaction. And in this whole family atmosphere, the whole welcoming atmosphere that we try so hard to create, that we mirror after the heart of the shepherd, is because in Jesus' eyes, the great shepherd, the one is just as important as the many. In fact, he loves that one so sacrificially that he would leave the 99, that he would forsake these to go find that one wayward sheep. The one is just as important as the many. And this is the truth about the kingdom that Jesus is revealing. Here it is. The mission of God's kingdom is always restoration. It goes all the way back to the garden. When Adam and Eve were created in perfect harmony and communion with God, he would come down in the cool of the day and walk with them. And then what happened? Sin separated. To the point where God came down and Adam and Eve had already hidden. They were already ashamed. They were already in full recognition of sin's consequences. Sin separates. That was never part of God's plan. 
That was never part of it. But, but now that sin has entered the universe, now the entire mission and purpose of the kingdom is restoration. I have to go get what was lost. I have to go reconcile humanity back to myself. I created them for me for their good, for my pleasure. He wants relationship and communion and sin always separates, but he's willing to sacrifice the 99. That means that you are valuable. That means that you belong. That means that you are loved sacrificially. It says in Luke chapter, what chapter are we in? 14. I just got back from the Grand Canyon. I apologize. I don't know what chapter we're in. Luke chapter 15. Okay. Good. The Grand Canyon was awesome, by the way. Everybody needs to go once. Everybody needs to see it at least one time. It is that vast and expansive. I mean, you'll never think about God's love the same. It's huge. Anyway, you are loved sacrificially. It says he stops at nothing until he finds you. The one is just as important as the main. Did you know that you were the one at one point in time? That... At some point, the shepherd saw his 99. He saw the sheep that belonged to him. He saw the sheep that were, that were doing okay, that were staying with the shepherd, and he thought about you. He intentionally knew that you were lost. He knew your name. He knew your life circumstances, and he chased you down to find you. And he stopped at nothing until he had you, that precious lamb, his precious lamb over his shoulders. The one is just as important as the many. That's why we emphasize so much about the one. Let's sacrifice for the one. Let's pray for the one. Let's create an environment around the one. And let's, let's help you invite just that one person to come and hear the gospel. And then number three, not only... We're not all God's children, although we were created to be. The one is just as important as the many. Number three, you don't have to be searching for God for him to find you. Think about that truth this morning. You don't have to be searching for God for him to find you. There was no ability that that sheep had on its own to find his way back to the shepherd. That sheep couldn't do anything to make it back to the fold. That sheep couldn't do anything to figure out how to navigate his way back to the 99. That sheep was lost. That sheep was blind. That sheep was wayward. That sheep was stuck. There was nothing about that sheep that was searching for God. It didn't matter. God found him anyway. His love is so reckless. His love is so dangerous that he risked everything to find you. The worst thing happened to the best person so that the best thing could happen to the worst person. That's the gospel in a nutshell, is this rescue mission of redemption. This is his mercy and his grace. You think that, that sheep really deserved to be found? Do you think that sheep was really his A-plus student? that went off track and got lost. Do you think that sheep was really the, the most moral, ethical, just really all around good person, tried to keep the 10 commandments? Was that the one that Jesus left the 99 to find? No, this sheep was, this sheep would have been the black sheep. This sheep would have been the one outcast by society. 
This would have been the sheep forsaken by the others. This was probably the runt of the litter, herd, whatever you call it, with sheep. This was the one that was always made fun of, cast to the side, not welcomed in social circles. This is the one that was lost. This was, this was the sinner. Don't forget, he's talking to tax collectors and sinners. These were those people, usually Gentiles, that the Jews and the religious elite wanted nothing to do with, wouldn't even walk on the same side of the road with. The church people would not welcome them into their doors. And that's the one Jesus died trying to find and save. You don't have to be searching for God for him to find you. His love is reckless. His love is dangerous. It was a rescue mission. And when he found this sheep, when he accomplished what he set out to do, when he left the 91 just to track down this one, he throws it over his shoulders and he immediately celebrates. He goes running back home. He gathers his friends and his neighbors, his next 10. Can I get a witness? And he celebrates with his people. And he's like, you got to rejoice with me. I found the one that was lost. Do you have a one mentality? We get so caught up in church by the numbers and, and we do celebrate Easter attendance records and we do celebrate decisions and we celebrate us coming together, but do you have a one mentality? Jesus had a one person at a time mentality. That's he, how he was building his kingdom, just one at a time. I'm going to find the next sheep that's lost. And when he's rescued, I'm going to go find the next sheep that's lost. And when they're rescued, I'm going to go get another one. To the point where he ends this, this whole parable by saying in verse 10, just so I tell you, there's more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And that was a zinger. He's talking right to the heart of these Pharisees. He's talking right to the heart of these Jewish leaders, the religious elite. And he's saying, I'd rather have one than 99. I'd rather have one repentant, broken sinner who is so joyful to be found than over 99 church people who get filled with that stench of pride, who get used to the way things are, who get comfortable in their setting, and they form this, this self-righteous bubble and they want to protect everything and guard everything almost to the point where it becomes unwelcoming and unnatural to have people who don't look like you enter to the doors. And it becomes almost a little bit uneasy when people who don't look like you show up at church or sit in your row or sit behind you. Those were the Pharisees. Those were the Jews that he was talking about, the scribes that grumbled. These are the people who knew the word of God. These were the people who were studied the word of God, had their Bible studies and daily devotions. These are the people who were walking close with God, but their heart was so far from him because they didn't realize he was after the one. He was still on a rescue mission for the one. The 99, you're good. Don't forget the verse says he left them. He left the 99 to find down the one. 
track down the one. That impresses upon me that I better guard my heart against that kind of pride. That impresses upon me that I don't know if we have 99 people in the room, but I surely don't want the shepherd to leave us. I surely don't want the shepherd to look back on this group of 99 people and say, I'd rather have one repentant sinner than 99 of y'all who don't think you need repentance. This is one of Jesus's greatest hits. This is one of those parables that packs a punch. Guard your heart against that spirit of pride. Guard your heart against that self-righteous religious stigma. We did a great job last Sunday. You know, Easter's all about evangelism and, and bringing in the masses, inviting anybody to come participate. But what about the Sunday after Easter and then the Sunday after that? And then we get back around our small groups and we start back up our Bible studies and we, and we go deep in our theology. It's great. It's wonderful. We ought to draw closer to the heart of the Father. But don't forget about the one. Don't forget to be outward focus because when you're brought into this, the Bible calls it a ministry of reconciliation. It's part of the whole kingdom's purpose and mission. He brings you in on that ministry. It says in Corinthians that we've been given now the ministry of reconciliation. So now the great shepherd has fellow shepherds. And we also, like Jesus, ought to be single focused. We also, like Jesus, ought to be searching for the one. We ought to be looking for the lost one, the broken, the hurting, the dying. I think it was even mentioned in our prayer time this morning that church is a hospital for the broken. It's not a museum for righteous people. We're a hospital for the broken. So guard your heart against that pride. Guard your heart against that, that, that spirit that so easily creeps up in me of self-righteous protection. Protect. Guard what we've got. You know, hedge our investments. Don't give up on that one. And I just feel inclined to encourage somebody, maybe, maybe the one person that you really prayed for, the one person that you tried so hard to invite didn't come on Easter. That one person, maybe you've been trying to get them through the doors for a long time, not just Easter, but they've been on your heart, they've been on your mind for a while, and, and you were so close to giving up on praying for that individual. Can I encourage you this morning? Don't give up. The great shepherd, he risked it all, and he didn't stop searching for that sheep until it was found. He went to great lengths. That kind of love is reckless. That kind of love is dangerous. We get a lot of pushback at this church for calling God's love dangerous, for calling God dangerous. It's the most dangerous mission that he could have gone to send his one and only son to die for us. It's the most reckless thing he could have done. I'm proud to be an associated with a shepherd like that. I'm proud to call him my keeper. I'm proud to say that I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm glad to be a sheep in the fold this morning. And if you're honest with yourself, I don't know where your heart is this morning. I don't know the temperature of your heart. Only God can gauge that. But there was a time when you rejoiced that you were found.
There was a time where you were tender to that Holy Spirit, that shepherd drawing you to himself. There was a time when you were the outcast, when you were the one overlooked, when you were the one forgotten, when you were the one taken aside, just sidetracked, just sideswiped by sin. And God found you. And if you're in the room today, can you go back to that moment? Can you, can you ask God to refresh your mind about that moment where he found you? That's the tenderness that he's looking for. That is just that joyful heart of celebration where you are so grateful just to be saved, that you are so grateful that God didn't leave you where you are. But he brought you along. He brought you into the fold that you are found, that you are belong, that you are valuable, that he thought of you, that he knew your name. Let's be a church after the one. Let's be a church that's willing to go the extra mile, that's willing to leave the 99. That's, in, in other words, your comfort zone that's willing to leave those commodities aside to put yourself out there, to get uncomfortable, to be like that great shepherd who invites you on this ministry of reconciliation, invites you to participate in his reckless love. How great is that? That we get the invitation to participate with God on this rescue mission. I'm so glad this morning that I was the one that he left the 99 for. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful this morning about your reckless love. We're so grateful this morning that you'll tear down anything in your way to get to us. And I'm, I don't know about the crowd today, but I'm super grateful that I did not have to search for you to find me, that I didn't have to somehow meet you halfway, that I as the lost wayward broken sheep did not have to navigate my way and look for my shepherd, but no, I was helpless, I was lost. Ephesians 2 calls me dead in my sin, but there you found me. It wasn't too dirty to get down into, it wasn't too hard for you to find, it wasn't too inconvenient for you to be beaten and broken and bruised and crucified for. And God, if there's one person here, just one, that's hearing their name called, that's, that's realizing maybe for the first time that I am valuable, I do belong, God has been searching after me, that you would call them to yourself, that you would rescue them this morning that they would have the, the faith to believe, to take you at your word, that you died for them, that you paid for all their sin, that you took all their iniquities on your shoulder, paid the price, you died, you were buried, and then you resurrected in full glory and power. And all it takes is belief. All it takes is saying something like, God, I'm sorry, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from you, but today I'm trusting in you. Today I'm placing my faith in you, the shepherd that found me. Thank you for your reckless love. Thank you for making me brand new. Thank you for making me part of your kingdom. 
If you prayed something like that, would you go find somebody in the back during this last song? Anybody wearing a, a yellow lanyard? You can find them. They'll love to pray for you, talk with you, encourage you in this decision, maybe help you pray if you don't, not quite sure of the words. And then church, the application for us is that we would be on guard against the spirit of self-righteousness, that we would be on guard against the the religious elitism that so easily creeps into our church culture, that so easily wants us to cause us to, to, to be conservative, to hold back, to protect what we've got. When Jesus has called us to participate in this ministry of reconciliation, he's, he's called us to go after the one, the one. So. I just want to pray for you. If, if you've been after that one individual, maybe they didn't come and you've been disappointed for a whole week. Your guest didn't come and you know they need Jesus. You know that God knows that you've been praying for them. He hasn't given up on them. He's calling them. He's chasing them down. His love is reckless. It found you. It can find them. So let's pray for that person. Let's be intentional about that person this week. Let's pray for that one, and let's be a welcoming church that no matter how somebody comes in, what they look like, what they smell like, how they dress, how their language is, they could be the total opposite of you but that you would love them like Jesus, that you would love them like the great shepherd did. Thank you, God, for leaving the 99 for me. Help us to be reminded of that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.